0: What could I possibly do with them at this hour of the night? What a suggestion? You're not very funny, Hardy. <laughs> Nighty night. Hark, it's an 87th Precinct podcast, Side Pod. We're stepping away from the world of the 87th Precinct. Not very far away, we're just taking a little sort of parallel universe sidestep into New York and a film based on a story by Evan Hunter, Ed McBain. The story was published in 1959 as A Matter of Conviction and the film, which came out in 1961, was The Young Savages, a black and white film about gang violence and murder and courtroom drama set in New York in the slums of uh, Harlem and the various different areas something that Evan Hunter knew very well himself and obviously talked about in some of his books part of the reason we're doing it is because the book before last was it that we did think so was uh-huh. see them die from the 87th precinct series which was again a story about gangs in these Harlem slums basically and we've just watched the film and we're going to have a little chat about it and I'll give you some information so, to talk about the film and surrounding items, I have subpoenaed two witnesses. <laughs> 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 and that is uh, Mr Stephen Royston. Hello. And Mr Morgan Brown. Present. Present, yes. <laughs> the court will record that the witnesses are in attendance. That's the sort of thing they say. Hopefully
1: I don't they? need gagging. <laughs> restraining. We'll see how we go on. We never know. <laughs>
0: So, we've got a double whammy of uh, spoiler policy here, in that if you haven't seen the film, or you haven't read the book, well, tough, because otherwise we could have nothing to talk about. <laughs> it's very true. Have you read the book? I have read the book. Ah, I right. read it this week in uh, advance.
1: You're well ahead of us, then. For I have not
2: read the book. No, well, have I?
0: Just before we get into it, then, could... Stevo, could you describe the edition of... we normally <laughs> in our bonus episodes, we do a description of the books and things, but Stevo might describe well, the, the cover of A Matter the, of Conviction.
1: The cover of A Matter of Conviction looks like... The VHS cover for Emmanuel <laughs> 2 or you would something like that. We
2: think it was going to be a disappointing the, soft pornography.
1: The softest <laughs> of, of soft core pornography <laughs> with a guy with... I think he's wearing pyjamas with Lovely. a naked torso holding a, a lady with just uh, some... Um, slightly baggy... B- baggy pants. <laughs>
0: baggy pants. With her
1: back to the uh, the camera...
0: So what would you and mean, it seems
1: to have absolutely no bearing to the film I've watched <laughs> or uh, I'd imagine to the book. Probably blog. to the book. So it's quite perplexing really.
0: What would you imagine the story was about seeing that cover of the of the there was some,
1: people some crime of passion involving uh, Probably uh, not even a crime, uh, just sort of well, yeah. Mills and Boone. Well, yeah, Mills More and Boone.
0: More or less, yeah. yeah.
2: It's um Definitely, sort of.
1: Yeah, it's, it's quite strange, really. But then the back there's a quite a large picture of Evan Hunter, it's looking quite, looking quite it, like, it, uh, it uh, is, looking very is, much like Steve Carell. I
2: would have been more tempted to read the book if that had been on the front rather than. So yes, a very Geraldine's perplexing, a very
1: perplexing uh, cover. Uh, well, the we reason for agree.
0: that cover being the way it is, or well,
1: or do you know why? Well,
0: not because of the content of the cover, oh. not because of that picture being the picture that it is. It it doesn't bear any relation to the book. Uh, I can confirm that. Oh, yeah. there is some talk of of grown up cuddling, mm. and <laughs> which is basically what the cover of the book is. Yes, but it, yeah, it doesn't bear a resemblance. The edition I've got is by the New English Library in their four square edition from 1968. The New English Library, who have got a couple of them at Baines in those. They were a, very much a pulp publisher. Oh, right. And so as they got into the late 60s, they got less bothered about actually publishing hmm. established authors and things like that. But they would buy up some, which is why they've got A Matter of Conviction from 1959. But they, was, they started putting out loads of stuff about, I think, biker gangs and the like. Yeah. Mm. And they just had about two or three authors who just churned out Tons and tons yeah. of these, things. so they were very pulpy, and so this just just matches basically the types of covers they were doing at the time, yeah. which is semi-photo, well, photographic and sort of semi-porny type things. you just thought like they could have come
2: up with something sensationalist related to gang violence that would still have been a bit sexy,
1: but would have tied in a bit more with the theme. But yeah, I don't know. The, f- the font choice is quite sophisticated, though. It, it, kind it does. Of, it looks
2: uh, a bit more like a kind of like uh,
1: an erotic love story for adults. Yes.
0: I suspect it might. It
1: was simply a matter of conviction <laughs> that he held her in
2: his arms. I, I'd love to, to, to hear your audiobook of it.
0: <laughs> that would be very nice. Yeah, it's very strange. It was originally published by Simon and Schuster, who did yeah. all the uh, 8th Precinct stuff, and it has been reprinted since by the Mysterious Press, but published as an Ed McBain novel, ah. Ed McBain writing as Evan ah. Hunter, whereas the truth is it was... Evan Hunter writing as Evan Hunter <laughs> yeah so but I think Ed McBain was the more famous name mm. or is now anyway yeah and has the sort of the the more crimey legacy and this mm. is this is a crime book really
2: effectively yeah
0: so yeah it's a it's a very interesting cover I will post it on the, on the Twitter <laughs> and Instagram and all those various places that I'm sure you all visit all the time anyway so that's that's the book, and I'll, I'll drop in some points having read it well, as we talk about the film, which is the main reason we're here. But before we get into that, actually, before we get into anything, if you want to follow up on anything about Pulp Fiction, I wrote an article, a review in the We Are Cult online magazine about a book called Girl Gangs, Biker Boys and Real Cool Cats, edited by Andrew Nett and Ian McIntyre, which is a really, really good book all about Pulp Fiction. And there's one chapter in there all about... Ed McBain's early works called Evan Hunter's Jungle Kids, which mainly covers uh, the Blackboard Jungle and A Matter of Conviction. Because, obviously, there were big stories in what was called the JD scene, the juvenile delinquency pulp fiction scene. So there's a very good article in there by Matthew Asprey Gear. So you can look that up on the We Are Cult website if you want to read about that. And if you like pulp fiction, which, if you're one of our listeners, you (laughs) may well do, then that is... The, the Girl Gangs Biker Boys book is, is a very good overview of loads and loads of different publishers, authors, and loads of great images and, and the like. So I wanted to mention that before we moved on, and Tremendous. now we will move on. I've got a day-to-day mystery I need help with before we go mm-hmm. any further. It's a crime. A crime has been committed on my property. And I, I think you guys... I'm, I'm turning right to you rather than the police okay. to try and help me with this. OK, we are the experts. Let me all. lay out the scenario... Two days ago, we come home from work. Our wheelie bin for recycling, our blue wheeled bin, is outside the front of our house. It doesn't have the number of our house on it, as so many bins do, to identify them once they've been moved around the place by the bin men. However, on returning home, our bin now has a sticker on the top of it with our house number on it. Mm. Mm. Maybe, said my partner, maybe the council have been around and stuck them on all the bins. They have not. Someone has defaced our bin in a really helpful way (laughs) by sticking our house number on it, and I just do not know why, and I feel violated. Well, understandably. I think I'd
1: be tempted to rip it off.
0: But it's useful and saves me doing it. We need to stamp out this
1: helpful vandalism. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's encroaching on your right to number a bin yourself. See, I... have I purposely have not numbered my bin and forced my neighbour into numbering his bin. <laughs> and I can thus identify my bin because he's numbered his. How long did that standoff take? Uh, don't know. Ten years.
2: <laughs> a mere ten, ten years. years. But the, years, the victory right. must have tasted so sweet. Well,
1: at the end of the day, who cares whose bin is whose? They're all flipping empty, and they're all the
0: same. Well, I'm, I'm so yes. I am a bit concerned because my bin's quite new because someone did steal my old bin. Some busybody neighbour, I would say. But why us? It feels like the start of a, of a campaign. Well, have you looked at the other bins? I have, I've looked at the other bins. There's no evidence of stickers on them, even on the unlabeled mm. ones. Mm. So
1: there you go, there's Strange. a bizarre mystery. Perhaps but he did it as a matter of conviction.
0: Well, yes, a matter of conviction, <laughs> which is a classic Evan Hunter, Ed McBain title, because the book is all about... The character Hank Bell's feelings mm. about why he's convicting some boys or why he's going to try and convict some boys. He is a assistant district attorney prosecuting some gang members. So you've got his feelings and convictions about why he's doing it and the purposes behind it, and obviously conviction as in doing mm. the convicting type of thing. So that's a classic double-meaning yeah. Evan Hunter thing. He's
2: not keen on having a title that has a single meaning, really, is he?
0: No, but when it gets to this film, Burt Lancaster as our hero, Hank Bell, mm-hmm. the film becomes The Young Savages, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a, a title much more in the vein of the JD films of the of the time. They're Absolutely. certainly savages,
1: but they certainly ain't young. <laughs> <laughs> From the actors who were recruited in this film.
0: Well, yeah, the main three kids are supposed to be 15, 16, 17 or something like that. Pushing and, 35. Yeah,
1: they're, they're, they're all at least 10 years older than... Which... Like, yeah, which was amusing, really. But yeah, it, yeah. It's
0: always funny when you watch a film that's supposed <laughs> to have like kids in it, and you know that they've had to cast people older. A lot of the time, they can they can get it right. They they cast people who are older but look the uh, age. Yeah, they had receding hairlines for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. That's not to say that some teenagers don't <laughs> this suffer true, from that. This is true. But
1: Shelley Winter's son looked old enough to be her husband.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, m- maybe that explains why he was so mixed up <laughs> well, in his, uh, maybe, his feelings yeah. and his. Uh... Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's a couple of names from the cast. There, we've got Burt Lancaster playing Hank Bell. Yeah, we've got Shelley Winters playing Mary Depaci. We've got oh, let's at me names. Telly Savalas. We've got Telly Savalas playing the, the main copper in it. Absolutely. I mean, curiously, yeah.
1: he looked older than he did when he was in Kojak. He's smoking
0: cigars constantly in it as well, isn't he? He's got a pocket full of about four or five cigars at any one time. He he was
1: very good, actually.
0: We've got John Davis Chandler as Arthur Reardon, who is the main hoodlum. Mm. And he was a face that when he came on screen, I think all of us went, we've seen that face before, Mm. because it's quite a memorable face. Oh, it
1: it really is. It evokes strong emotions of a weaselly nature. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's certainly got weaselly... um, Connotations? Does mm. face have connotations?
2: Yeah, that one does.
0: It certainly does. So it's not a bad cast actually. I mean, regardless of the fact it's quite hard, I think, for them to cast actors who'd be good enough mm, yeah. to do the roles, which is why you get these people who are older, as as well as the laws about using young people to mm. act in things. But yeah, it's I think it's a pretty well cast film in terms of how they yeah. how they act and how they play it. Definitely, and some of the gang yeah. members are really good.
1: Mm.
0: Too many of them to to know and they're not all credited as well. Mm. It's a John Frankenheimer film. He directed it, and I obviously looked him up. So, what was the film you were talking about? That was well, a John Frankenheimer. I, I,
1: I, yeah, I remember. As soon as I saw his name popped up, the, the Train, which is an excellent film about the Germans in the Second World War trying to nick all the French art in the dying uh, in the dying days of the war, and so to ensure that the artwork doesn't escape from from France as an elaborate plan to um, the mess of up the, the a, train journey, mm. yeah. And, and Burt Lancaster is in, in that film. In the and in fact, as well. yeah, I
0: think a lot of the people who produced this film in terms of the crew and, and mm. were, were involved in, in the train, as I think Ooh. they were on a on a few different films. The train. Birdman of Alcatraz, which yeah, is the Al-
1: Frankenheimer-Lancaster oh, collaboration.
0: And John Frankenheimer also made The Manchurian Candidate.
1: Mm-hmm. He was directing until you know, well into the 90s, I think. Yeah, I think he incredibly long, for, long career.
0: For a very long time, he was doing a lot of TV, and I think this film, The Young Savages, was his first motion picture. He'd oh, right, okay. done TV films and TV series, but this was his first motion picture, and he took a lot of the people who worked on, on it with him, hmm. like music and cinematography and all that sort of stuff. I suppose One thing that I sort of feel a bit sad about with this film is it doesn't have any... Crazy rock and roll scenes in it, which so many of them did at the time. I feel
2: like he missed a the trick there. Like the, the, the soundtrack, where it comes in, where there's any kind of hint of popular music, it's always like kind of like cool jazz rather than any kind of like rowdy youth music. Really, isn't it? It's, uh, I think
0: because they're going for the gritty thing, aren't they? Yeah, I rather think than so, yeah. sort of making it like they're not trying with this film to appeal to the. 15 year olds. It's They're not, not, not really
2: be. kind of youth exploitation, is it? Which it would have been so good as a youth exploitation movie.
0: It would have been great if they'd have just, yeah, suddenly there was like a, <laughs> they were down a beat club at some point. Yeah, if they'd been just, just like, not, it didn't have to go full on kind of
2: along those lines, but just like sort of 5% of high school Hellcats in there would have uh, raised the bar, I think.
0: Yeah, there was a little bit of uh, sort of jazz slang. Oh, yes. A bit of Hepcat slang, wasn't there? <laughs> And hopefully you won't be listening to this thinking, these guys are utterly cubistic. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm assuming is taking the concept of being square yep. and then moving it into three dimensions. Absolutely. Oh, that's so much worse, yeah. You're not just one square, you're six squares Oof. and all the space in between <laughs> the various sides.
2: So cubistic, Dario.
0: And my other two notes I made about the slang in this were when uh, Danny DiPacci, one of the gang members, or one of the one of the hoodlums, says ram it when offered something and uh, goes a cigarette tough and a half <laughs> so it's not just oh that's tough mate it's like mm. that's tough and a half nice oh that's very tough isn't it tough and a half Ooh, that's fifty percent more tough. tough than you were expecting absolutely it's a story about gangs it's a story about a stabbing it opens with the stabbing as the book does how did you feel about the structure of it because it plays out episodically sort oh, of doesn't it, it does.
1: It was, yeah, no, it it, it adopts the, um, yeah, the, I don't know what the word is, the, um, the structure, I suppose, of uh, you, you think you've seen everything because mm. it's played out right at the beginning, in like the first scenes yeah. almost, and then the rest of the film is an investigation of something that you think you know yep. everything about for the rest of the film. Yeah, it and makes
2: the audience all witnesses of, of the crime immediately, so you kind of feel like... Yeah, you're sort of omniscient while you're watching them all
1: figure out things you think you already know and then... It reminded me of a Dario Argento film, which uh, which, mm, which, is it The Bird with the Crystal Plume? One of the early ones where you see the crime at the beginning and you're absolutely certain you know what happened and yet it turns out that perhaps you didn't. Any similar similar yeah. kind of mechanism to that, really? It,
2: it's it's. I, I think it follows a pattern that that you see in a lot of much more recent courtroom dramas. I don't know if it was if this was really an established genre kind of earlier or not. Where you have this whole build up to this court case, and that's kind of the focal piece of the film, and then some. Obviously, there's a, a last minute bit of evidence that twists everything completely, mm. and yeah. That's, and that's kind of it. It's a really standard thing now. And if you see a courtroom scene coming up, you kind of know now that that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, definitely. But I think, that, again, that's an a Evan Hunter writing trait. Edward Bain well, you know, yeah, as well is yeah, that last-minute yeah, yeah. oh, discovery yeah. or the, twist that yeah. turns everything on its head. That enables the story to end in some mm. way. But the majority of the film is spent
1: with Bert Lancaster on his quest for the truth. Whether yeah. it's uh, inconvenient to his uh, employers or unfortunate for the the family yeah. of the the victim, or which
2: doesn't necessarily shed that much more light on the actual crime, but does fill in a lot of social background mm. and and give you a lot of more kind of colour surrounding the the characters in this, which is, is I think what makes a lot of the interest of it. Yeah, and then because it's definitely sort of a lot of the the tension in the film comes between sort of the political side of it which is the need to get this high profile conviction for for political purposes and get then, them in the chair yeah and then the kind of social justice side of it um and which side of that will win out, and whether the goals of the two things are actually the same or whether they're different. Rather than any details of the crime, that's kind of what you learn about as the film progresses, and then, obviously, we have this sort of revelation later on. Mm. Which
0: There's a line in a Monty Python sketch which is, it's a fair cop, but society is to blame. (laughs) (laughs) And that could be sort of part of the... The, the moral background of this story, mm. as well, a lot of the color in this story, which is, I think, it actually seems very authentic. I mean, sometimes the sets seem a bit stagey. Some of the, some oh of the, yeah, I mean, but but actually, loads of the the sort of the filming and the color of of the streets is really interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, nice. and I think it was mainly it must have been filmed around I, Harlem. I, I, I think it does seem like a lot of
2: authentic location shots. Definitely, you see
0: a lot of the rebuilding that McBain's talked about in in some of the eighty seven precinct books. Mm-hmm. If we're assuming as we generally do that they're just ciphers for the real New York, mm-hmm. this is set in the real New oh. York. The well,
1: the escape over like a buildings, an entire yeah. blocks block of demolished buildings. Mm. Totally. Do you not
0: think it looked like Liverpool? Like there's pictures of Liverpool you see in the sixties. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whereas instead of us knocking it down to rebuild it because of old housing stock, we were knocking stuff down because it had been bombed, bombed in, yeah. in Liverpool it looked very much like a lot of those so that would have been a very familiar landscape across quite a lot of of places i think sort of old buildings knocked down sort of patches of waste ground and and sort of definitely slum terrace housing or tenements as it would have been in new york yeah
2: sort of tenements running up against just sort of demolition sites and and
0: this is this is the world that evan hunter was born into I've been doing a bit of research into his family tree and when you look at some of the lists on the censuses of how many people lived in one room, in one flat, in one apartment block and then how many families lived in that apartment block in total and then Mm -hmm. you sort of try and multiply that across the idea of how many floors there would have been, how many houses in a row, it's ludicrous to think how many people would have been crammed into these conditions which were sort of squalor really Mm. And that's represented quite well on the couple of scenes where you go inside into the slums because it's like a one room or two room building. One room's got all of the family in, and and then the sort of kid who's a bit of a gang leader's sort of got his own room off to the side. Mm -hmm. But the the one bedroom that's available, whereas there's grandparents and parents all all living together. So I thought that was quite good. I enjoyed, enjoyed that bit of colour. And then a lot of it comes from the flashbacks. Mm. So a lot of it is told in flashback.
1: Mm.
0: And just to um, reveal something to the book, I'll just pass that to Morgan there. I'm just showing Morgan how the book's laid out for the flashback scenes. So the film does really reflect the book because the book has these flashback scenes written in script format. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. So I wonder whether Evan Hunter was thinking of this visually, maybe. Thinking of it like a... TV script or film script at the time when he wrote this because so much of that book, it, the flashbacks are yeah. all absolutely film it, script it, style. It, yeah, the, the,
2: even down to sort of stage directions and everything.
1: Yeah, it's it's that's wild. He does that in the 80s some of the eighty seventh precinct when he's like interrogating. He'll uh,
0: oh yeah, oh, the interrogation sequences mm-hmm. he'll do, but this is this is written mm-hmm. with like sta- yeah stage direction settings, and almost like you can you know he's explaining the shots as they would be in which mm-hmm. is. Is really interesting. So that was something that was, I found quite interesting mm. in the book, and it was nice to see in the film that they've reflected that by having these flashback sequences which more or less do the same mm. thing. There's some intense music as, at the start, oh, isn't there? And the, when the, 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 three, the three villains of the piece are going off to do a stabbing, and they're walking in step. Mm. It looks a bit silly, because they're walking in step is then obviously tied in, <laughs> into yeah. the score music. And so give takes away a little bit of the the threat of them because they do a little bit look a little bit like <laughs> they're doing a dance number. <laughs>
2: That's true. It's like some kind of weird discordant circus march or something. It's it's a bit peculiar.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean how would it have seemed like a dramatic thing at the time? Would people have been shocked, do you think, by the the violence that was played out on screen? It was obviously a big social and moral panic at the time. But I, yeah, I'm not sure. I you you only see one stabbing you see a couple of beatings it's a few years on from
2: the sort of initial juvenile delinquent panic isn't it so i don't know how <laughs> shocking that would have been
1: yeah.
2: at that stage but
0: i'm just looking through a review from the new york times a contemporary review from uh, 25th of may 1961 and what it says here is that the film is obviously pegged on evidence presented in the well reported case of the gang murder of the crippled boy michael farmer um, slain in highbridge yeah. park a, a few years ago and a couple of other juvenile slayings, so well, involving Puerto Rican youths known as the Cape Man and the Umbrella Man. Ooh, we do have a Cape Man in this, don't we? We have a character who goes by the name of Batman. That's right. Yeah. Mm. And it's—I know Batman's been around a long time in comics, mm-hmm. but it's, I still find it quite funny that someone in like 1961 would be so obsessed with Batman that he uses it as his nickname. It's mad,
2: doesn't he? Forget how how. Just how long that's been when such when a massive. When did mass Batman start?
0: Thirties, 30s? like 30s? there was some TV serials and things, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, really and early like,
2: like, um I think sort of Saturday morning kind of like movie like serials as well. I think the sort of thing the that the might have cropped up on Captain Video. It, well, <laughs> possibly, yeah. Um, but like, I think I'm not sure. Like 38 to 1940, something like that. Early Batman,
0: so it could have been he'd been around for a long time. Yeah, it's really well established. Yeah. Perhaps it would be an, an interesting exercise to look up these actual crimes and see whether that really influenced Evan Hunter or just influenced oh. the film, I don't know. The, uh, yeah, the person writing this review of Young Savages isn't as kind to it as Anthony Boucher is normally to the 87th Precinct books. It says, The problems of juvenile delinquency are tough enough to cope with these days. A film that sees these problems and then soft-soaps them doesn't provide much valid <laughs> drama or do
2: much good. Mm. So, yeah, that reviewer would have sent everyone to the chair.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've got a review from The Observer as well, which is a British newspaper. It comes out on a Sunday. The scriptwriters make it too easy for the main character. Virtue and vice are too evenly heaped, and what might have been a story about a momentous moral choice drifts casually into detective work and courtroom hysterics. Oh, there's some courtroom hysterics. Yeah, to be fair,
2: there are some courtroom
0: hysterics, but I, I don't know if it's exactly too easy. I think there's possibly a reason it does not lived in legend quite as much as Blackboard Jungle, really. Oh, well, not quite. Blackboard Jungle was the right film at the right time. Definitely. This has perhaps missed the boat a little bit. On, I think so. But I say that I may be wrong. I don't know. I certainly found as well that, whilst searching for stuff about the Young Savages, there was a, like another article from June 1961 about an actual gang who've called themselves the Young Savages, quite possibly off the back of yeah. this film. You know, 28 Bronx youths held... So that's you know that's a hell of a thing to be doing as a copper trying to <laughs> arrest twenty eight people, isn't it? Yeah. You know the amount of police it would have taken to do that. Zip guns they were using zip guns, which apparently are like one shot guns. You, you you load an actual cartridge in them, but they're sort of Jerry made, sort of put together from bits right. of wood. I don't really know what a zip gun is. Mm-hmm. No, no, do I. Don't fire zips at people. <laughs> that would be a lot less threatening. <laughs> quite, quite painful, that. I mean, right? but yeah, it could sting a bit. Quite. Abrasive,
1: aren't they? I'd probably zip.
2: prefer a zip to a cartridge though. <laughs> in the uh, the a zip, you things. can only use once. I'm guessing it's maybe like the 1960s or late 50s equivalent of um, do you remember when there was a particular kind of potato gun that you could buy in oh, yeah. in, in sort of pound shops that that scallies could convert to an actual gun? Oh. Scallies is scouse, sorry. sorry, Liverpool <laughs>
0: slang for scallywags. 'er Ne'er-do-wells.
2: Ne'er-do-wells, absolutely. Uh, There there was, um, I remember some years ago, probably over a decade ago now in Liverpool's story, that sort of bargain shops in the city were selling spud guns, like guns that were designed to fire little bits of potato at people for for japes, uh, which could very easily be converted to actually fire, I think, single bullets and kill people. Um, so I imagine a zip gun would be some kind of late 50s equivalent like of that, but I have no idea. Quite possibly.
0: Yeah, stop shooting each other, everyone.
2: Yes, please.
0: And that includes the police.
2: Well, especially them, really, yeah. Yeah,
0: especially, yeah. I look down my notes here from the film and I've got the phrase Ponce Grocers, which is an interesting name <laughs> for a grocery store. Mm, yep. Don't know what you're going to get in there.
1: <laughs> yeah you do <laughs>
0: oh, dear there's a very good scene with um Hank Bell Burt Lancaster's wife where she's drunk there's oh, a, there's I there's a more political element to the film than there is to the book really I mean the, the book is political in, in the small p mm. sense as in you know it will look good for the police it will look good for the courts and to see that these Italian hoodlums are being put away and um it's big P political in the film in that it's actually the DA is trying to get elected to governor or whatever mm. you know, and, and this will really make his name if he gets his conviction and there's a scene where they're having a presumably an electoral rally or some sort of support thing and, and Hank Bell's wife Karen is drunk and starts making lots of sarcastic jibes about her husband electrocuting people for votes <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's not too subtle about it yeah,
2: it's, but you know, fair play to her.
0: There's some very interesting female characters in the film. Unfortunately, his wife Karen really isn't one of them. I don't think. Whereas in the book, she's very, very important. Hmm. In the book, he met her while he was in G- in Germany, and she's German. All
1: oh, right. And so
0: their relationship oh. is he met her in Germany, and she came back with him from the war. Oh, okay, cool. Basically, which gives a whole other slant to the story. Oh. And he he worries about things like her not being a virgin when when he sort of met her and got with her. And that plays on his mind. So there's a big family thing missing from the film that's, that's woven throughout the book. Because he is, Hank Bell is a Harlem boy and he's trying to make something of his life. And he has, because he got to this quite privileged position in it for his job. But he's having all this trouble with his daughter, who appears only very briefly in the mm. film. But some of the other female characters in the film are much better than his family's portrayed. Their story is totally stripped away in this. Mm. Yes. The young girl who's the prostitute, she's, she's very good in the courtroom scene. Mm. Especially Shelley Winters is quite good. She she is Shelley she Winters is always
2: great. She's um, not going to
0: swim through the water like in well, the Poseidon I mean,
2: Adventure. Everyone who's in the Poseidon Adventure, it's it's all of their greatest movies, really. Yeah, like no, pin- no one's ever going to like top that. It's a masterpiece.
0: But this is a much <laughs> much younger Shelley Winters here. Her sort of sympathetic doe eyes, she's playing just, to the character. She's of,
2: just always terrific. There's. She has this incredible knack of like creating this air of battered dignity with mm. the very slightest of gestures, which I think is always really winning.
0: So the, her story is, or her character's story, is that she was going out with Hank Bell many, many years ago before he went off to the army. Not that he mentions going off in the army in the film. It's not quite as clear what their relationship was. That's a big part of the book that's played out a bit more. In fact, in the book the character Danny DiPacci, his dad still exists, he's still around, whereas he's written out of the film Mm. as part of the reason why the kid might be the way he is, he hasn't got a dad. Mm. Whereas in the book, he has got a dad, and he still turns out that way. (laughs) So there's a a lot more moralising and and thinking about Mm. it in the book than there is in the film. You couldn't have packed it all in, really, into the film, but you could have made the same film again and done it differently. Of course. If You see what I mean? You could have picked up different threads. Mm. So it's interesting, so let's keep going through the notes, let's have a little look we've got. In the book, the delay to getting the evidence they need in the courtroom is because of the lab analysis of the, of the old stabbing knives, the old switchblades. Oh, yeah. Whereas in the film, the switchblade knives are dumped and they can't find them to begin with, which is what causes a delay.
1: So that doesn't happen in the book at all? No, they, oh.
0: they know where the knives are right from the off oh. in, in the in the book. More or less right from the off. And it's the lab that causes the delay. But the the book and the film both have a funny character. <laughs> so we're quite keen on the Ed McBain-style zany, annoying character who was putting delays in the way of people finding the knives, ringing up Hank Bell in the middle of the night. Yeah, <laughs> telling fun, it was pretty but... good
1: fun. We've found, yeah, he's got a funny voice as well, hasn't
0: he? I was, I'd do an impression, but I don't think I can remember it well enough. We found the knives. <laughs> well, he does go like that, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Ooh, I started doing it, then automatically. We've, yeah, like
2: <laughs> yeah he was wildly um, perky about the fact that they found the knives at some inappropriate hour of the, the morning.
0: He was utterly cubistic. Cubistic, <laughs> even if like I could say yeah,
2: it. To some degree, cubistic, yeah.
0: The police precinct in this story is the 27th precinct, Mm -hmm. which I have ascertained is one of those numbers that doesn't actually exist as a precinct and is used quite a lot when films set in New York need a precinct number because it doesn't exist. Excellent. And I believe it was used (laughs) in the TV show Law and Order. So it's quite famous in that sense. I wonder why there's not a 27th? Well, there's quite a few that don't exist, apparently, which... Would they have existed at some point and they've gone out of existence, or...? I don't know, it's something to do with the size of the areas that they're in and so not all areas had all... So some of them have been and gone right? and then some areas didn't need as many numbers and things like that. Okay, There's quite a lot, it's quite easy to find out about this stuff but it's Mm -hmm. quite hard to remember. But the 27th Precinct doesn't exist but it's so close to 87th Precinct. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Do you think Burt Lancaster would have made a good Steve Carella in a a decent film? He he had a bit of the Carellas about him, didn't he, I, I guess.
1: No, he's yeah, he's always excellent. Is Bert Lancaster? Actually, he, he is he is good. He's
2: got a, a good sort of craggy, decent charm, hasn't he? And uh, mm. I, 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 I could see that working. He does
0: hold a close up very well, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. You can go right in on his face. I
1: thought Telly Savalas was potential uh, Maya Maya material. Well, you would have well. done it, yeah. I think yeah, it absolutely. yeah. I could see that. of a bit sarcastic, wasn't he? And a bit, uh, you know, some of those. Well,
0: Maya, Maya, and and Telly Savalas have their own relationship. As as when Kojak's on air, it affects Maya Meyer Maya's life somewhat. In the stories <laughs> oh God, of the eighty seventh yeah. precinct, he gets a bit fed up of the people asking him about cops, bald cops with lollipops. <laughs> yep. So those worlds all tie in. Yeah, there are a few
2: good eighty seventh parallels. Uh, the annoying journalist as well. Yeah, um, reminded me of Cliff. Thingy. Savage. Cliff Savage.
0: Oh, Savage,
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cliff um, the Young Savage. We had a <laughs> yet another Columbo oh, yeah. link as well. So go on,
0: explain the Columbo link. Well,
1: the, uh, the, well the, the, the main...
0: Hoodlum. Who, Gang member. Hoodlum.
1: He, uh, he, well, his face was very familiar, wasn't he? And a yeah. um, tiny bit of research. He was played a, a bomber in a Columbo episode who blows up... What does he do? I not remember which one it He is. blows up something, uh, but then gets murdered by do. the actual baddie. So he wasn't the main <laughs> villain. He's got a very memorable um, face though. Yeah. Oh god uh, he was the villain in the particular episode which this guy was in was the guy who was the villain more than anyone else <laughs> that I can't remember his name. I know. And <laughs> he plays a he plays a publisher who's trying to kill his best selling author who was about to um in
0: the episode Columbo publish or perish.
1: Yeah. And who's the buddy in that uh, The villain? I'm
0: gonna look it up for you now. Um, Let's have a little look. He's the flamboyant guy. I can tell you for a fact that Columbo was played by Peter Falk. Uh, which isn't always fact. the case. There are there are examples where he wasn't before the actual main Columbo came on.
1: Um, Jack Cassidy. Yeah, Jack Cassidy. Yeah, yeah,
0: so he's But one of the actors in in that episode of Columbo playing the character Alan Mallory, is Mickey Spillane. Amazing. <laughs> Which is interesting. <laughs> and yeah, and John Davis Chandler, who we're talking about here, plays Eddie Kane, the bomber. Oh, yeah. Which, as we've ascertained, the worlds of Ed McBain and Columbo are, aren't just limited to the adaptations in the TV series. There's loads of threads so that many. could drive a man mad trying to track them all and down. And probably will. Yes, this, this may maybe my ultimate fate. <laughs> Fortunately, there's lots more people than you know. Lots of people out there who are also total Columbo obsessives, and uh, quite easy to tap into for information yeah. because they've got all of it <laughs> yeah. already researched.
2: I can well believe it. Um, on the subject of that that main uh, hoodlum from this, I feel like I should just publicly register my feeling that for for a lead hoodlum, he really didn't have good enough pomade. No, nineteen sixty-one. A teen punk needs like a more glistening pompadour than that. It was it was lacking. It, it
0: was, was.
2: What? What? His hair. Oh, like
0: it's flapping around in the breeze. Come on. I know you, you can you're, do better. Your authority'd be stripped away every time the hair cuts. What, what kind in the, in of teen punk
2: can you be? The horseman guy. Yeah, uh,
0: the
2: uh, now didn't now. There's a teen punk you can set your watch by. Before he slicked it back
1: when uh, Bert Tremendous. went into his hair he's was he's down He's got like
2: here. Kurt Cobain hair and then like a couple of strokes of the comb, and he's got this
0: glistening. That's the majestic. Chap that, the chap that looked like Adam Driver. Wasn't he was it?
2: wonderful. Yeah, I, I'd I'd join his gang.
0: So well, he he was a
1: bit more he was a bit more believable at that age. I thought definitely. Uh, yeah, somehow. Yeah, yeah he, he definitely
0: was. He was very good. He was an excellent punk. And he had very, very shiny hair, as you've just said. So Out dead. of all of us here, Morgan, you're the only one who's ever really had a bit of a, a black hair quiff thing going on.
2: Yeah, it's, it's sadly diminished not being at my teen pomp. I, but, know, I still uh, think
0: you could perhaps try a bit harder with the. Uh, Although I think the you, Brill Creamy and Chance time.
1: for casting for this, I think. <laughs> you're well, yeah, <laughs> you're about, about the right age.
0: About the right age, yeah. Age 39, we'll play. We'll 15 play 15 year old punk. <laughs> Get some eight by tens uh, printed up and send them out to the film uh, the yeah, that company.
1: Right. The second to the last time you saw this guy, he was like slumped in the courtroom with a, like a sock in his mouth no, due to his right. uh, his outburst in the courtroom. This is apparently how uh, legal procedure worked in the states. And he's like <laughs> totally oblivious to what's happening. Like,
0: uh, yeah, uh, this is this is Arthur Reed and John <laughs> Davis Chandler's character who, who gets up and starts shouting, and <laughs> they literally just. Just and the judge
1: goes, gag the suspect, or he says... <laughs> that doesn't happen in the book.
2: Uh, I think he, he warned them in advance that if there were any more
1: outbursts, he'd be gagged and bound. And literally one second later, uh, he has another outburst. Yep,
2: lowers his specs. Gag the suspect. <laughs> yeah, off, off he goes, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Hank shoved in his gob. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Proceedings, <laughs> carry on. Well, yeah,
0: it's it's
2: quite outrageous. Fun.
0: It's understandable why the district attorney Hank Bell feels that he's going to get this court case right because he's beaten up
2: uh-huh.
0: as part of this because the gangs want to see justice from one side or another and they obviously they threaten his wife and then they come after him and they beat him up with chains on a on a on a subway train well i don't know if it was a subway it was just a train wasn't it uh-huh. Was it a Subway? I don't know. I, I was thinking Subway, but I thought you Subway. You never really
1: find out who did that,
0: do you? No, you don't. And it's got to be
1: irrelevant, I suppose, but not really important. It yeah. could have been any of them. Well, that's what he says, doesn't he? It could have been either, because he's I think he'd pissed them both off that day, hadn't he? So he's he's, he's, rough, he's, ruffling, he's royally beaten, isn't he? Ruffling feathers. He is. Although he protects the face. He does. And has <laughs> a cigarette at the earliest <laughs> opportunity. Yeah. Well this is this is brilliant. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> examining
0: his lungs. He's <laughs> he's lying on the on the examination table in the doctor's. With Telly Savalas there and his family as well, his wife and daughter, and he's like, Doctor, is it alright if I smoke? And not the doctor's like, Yeah. If Amazing. you must.
2: Just taking a chest x ray, just taped, taping up his ribs while he starts smoking. It's like
0: Ah oh. It's brilliant. It's absolutely outrageous. Great. I was hoping he would have one of Telly Savalas's cigars <laughs> just to, you know, nail the point home even more. <laughs> That's sort of out of everything. That's the sort of thing that makes it feel distant in time. Like oh, yeah. That you can actually be being examined by the doctor and ask for a cigarette mm. at the same time as well. <laughs> in the book, he's set on in the park, so there's no witnesses, whereas ah. in this, he's on the train and people see these people. Yeah. Which is a bit odd.
1: Well, they're kind of there when it starts, but then
2: they uh, kind
0: of ignore it. Maybe, the, like, people just
2: kind of. People tend to kind of have this thing about the subway where if something happens there, they just people get out of the way or pretend they haven't seen it, I, I suppose. Maybe that's kind of the comment there. Suppose they were
1: swinging uh, chins yeah, around. So. You, you might
2: be
0: inclined to get the hell out of the way as well. Yes, suppose. you might like, move down the train to a, a different uh, carriage. Indeed. So, a couple more bits that I've noticed. They skipped a whole sequence in the book about where they have to choose the jury, oh. which is always a weird thing in the. Mm if you ever see i've seen it in a couple of uh, tv things from america and I'd, i certainly don't think it ever happened here where you can challenge the jury you have part of the trial is and it can last weeks mm. is people bringing in potential jurors them being cross-examined to see whether they're fit to sit on the jury mm. because they're too much of a certain background wow. or they might have sympathies in a certain way and it seems like a very strange thing yeah it goes on for quite a bit <laughs> a bit in the book they skipped that in the film you don't get an hour of, of them just bringing in people you'll never see again and saying, you know, where do you come from? What Where's that
2: go? director's cut? It
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah, probably exists somewhere. You could include all the outtakes, like where Shelley Winters fails to open a door, which yes. I'm implying happened, happened, because you could see a cut in the film as she goes to open a door. Yeah. So I suspect there's probably...
2: If only a bit, there's a blooper reel as well. That's exactly the
0: thing. That's what gonna, you want. A bit where... Bert Lancaster falls down some steps.
1: <laughs> so you want the uh, the ten disc edition of the Young Savages?
0: Definitely, you de- Redux. Yeah, the bit, the bit where all the
1: teen punks uh, come over, like fly
0: up in the wind, and you can see that they're actually like bald middle aged men. <laughs> all that stuff. I think somewhere this was compared to West Side Story without the music. I don't think it's <sighs> it's it's not really. No, we talked about West Side Story in relation to see them die as well. It's just. It's of the same background, yeah, absolutely, gangs and stuff like that. But in this, it's a bit more about the moral and social reasons yeah. for these things. It's interesting that his main character Hank Bell has changed his name from from uh, Hank Bellini, yes. Mm. And of course, Evan Hunter was Salvatore Lombino mm. Lombini. I can't remember. I've done so much research <laughs> in his family tree now. And yeah. the thing with family tree research is you've got to rely on the fact that. The people doing the censuses and surveys and writing down the information are actually listening to the people who are telling them their Uh names. Salvatore Lombino is is what it is. And they're going to spell it right. Uh So if you've come over from Italy and you're talking to someone and you're saying, my name is Giuseppe, and if the person writes down Joe, then that throws the research Uh totally out. Absolutely. I found out certainly... Salvatore Lombini wasn't oh, Lombino. Ah, oh, I'm still doing it. <laughs> wasn't the first in his family to change his name to an anglicised version, anyway. Well, not that Evan Hunter is an no, anglicised version. Either. It's about not as far away as you can get. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there was anglic- anglicisation anyway, and that's played out here. Obviously, it's an important thing for a lot of oh. people to get out of the slums, and one of the way they did it, ways they did it, was by making themselves appear more white American. Definitely. Really.
2: It's it's something that does crop up in in some of the McBain novels and also in uh, *The Streets of Gold* by Evan Hunter that that you, you gave me as well. Indeed, I think it's something that's constantly probably played on on um, the author's mind over the years. that's uh, something that, that he's probably thought about a lot. Yeah, so, well, yeah listen, it does, does uh, crop up a lot. I, I, I listened
0: again recently to the podcast in the psychiatrist's chair, which was an old BBC radio series, mm. and you can still get this podcast and the interview with Evan Hunter. And it opens with the interviewer asking him about his name. How do you think of yourself? Because I think of you as Ed McBain. And he, says, he just says, Evan Hunter. He said, I, I changed my name because I didn't like my name. <laughs> it wasn't just for professional purposes. Yeah. Although, obviously, it was triggered by it. He didn't like his name. He, didn't, he felt it tied in too much to that yeah. background. Not that he didn't like his family are you yeah. either, because he did. He did like, yeah. So that's very interesting, and it's still out there. Mm. I we mentioned it probably a long time ago now. So if you want to listen to it anymore, cool. it's still there. Look it up. It's called "In the Psychiatrist's In the Psychiatrist's Chair." <laughs> we have a psychiatrist and psychologist crop up in this film as well. Mm. Another mm. kooky character. There's a lot of sort of psychoanalysis going on in this, which I think was very much in the air at the time. I guess so, Yeah. A bunch of stuff about raw shark tests and IQ tests okay. as a way of seeing whether people are, you know,
1: it's probably fairly new stuff that. Then I, I would suspect think. it was. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, certainly in the the sort of mainstream consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Least, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah.
1: like uh, applying it, would, it to real world. Situations, yeah, would have just been definitely. purely theoretical. I would, I would have Absolutely, thought. Yeah. the early first half of the twentieth century.
0: I will give you some interesting post-film story here. okay. Get these little clips in the right order, otherwise the story will make no sense. Again from the New York Times, which is just very convenient because it's all online and I can access it anyway. The title of this article is Gang Film Actor is Held in Killing. <gasps> an East Harlem youth who portrayed an East Harlem hoodlum in a film dealing with gang warfare was charged yesterday... Ooh with the fatal stabbing of a 16-year-old boy during a melee on a door stoop.
1: (laughs) Who was it? A door
0: stoop? Sounds exactly like the film. Mm. The police said that Ramon Ortiz, 22 years old, had received $300 for a minor role in The Young Savages. Mm. Like the film, the real-life incident in East Harlem focused on the death of a Puerto Rican youth in the continuing conflict between Puerto Ricans and Italian-Americans in the area. The police said that Ortiz, who is known in the neighbourhood as The Actor... (laughs) <laughs> mm. <laughs> and then it goes on and talks about the people he was with. So, oh, no. so that was in uh, on August the 3rd, 1965, that article. Wow. So mm. someone who was playing a gang member oh, basically own. lived that out. Outrageous. Or did he? Well, wow. dun-dun-dun... I might pass this to Steve-O to oh, right. reveal the answer. Oh, right, well. There <laughs> we go. City is sued for a
1: million on false arrest charge. Excellent. Uh, a 23 year old father of three who spent eight months in jail, accused of the murder of which he was later exonerated, sued the city for one million US dollars in damages yesterday. Raymond Ortiz, who had a minor role in The Young Savages, a Burt Lancaster film, bah, 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 <laughs> uh, was charged fatal stabbing 16 year old in East Harlem doorstep. First read murder uh, against Mr. Ortiz and another youth who were dismissed after the district at Attorney's office said they were in no way implicated in the killing of Walter Cordero. Well, there we go. I wonder how he doesn't really explain.
0: No, I'm sure a a bit of research might turn up a little bit more, but... The
1: lawyer for Mr uh, Mr. Ortiz said um, his client was greatly humiliated,
0: embarrassed, scorned and suffered great mental and physical distress. Well... Poor Mr. Ortiz. Well, he perhaps shouldn't have been going around with a gang going, I'm the actor. <laughs> well, hey, I'm the actor here.
1: I suppose. Crikey. Well.
0: Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So talk about the book and the movie are art mimicking real life. Yeah. And then real life is mimicking art mimicking <laughs> real life. You could think of it in those terms. Perhaps. Well wow. right. I think what we really need to do then is, is we... that
1: Kenneth I can see we yeah, warmed Kenneth, up. Yeah,
0: he oh. is. What Kenneth is waiting for though is a determination of, of what unit we're gonna use to rate oh, the film. Oh
1: goodness. We should well. probably have thought about this beforehand, shouldn't we? I wouldn't knives. If... There was quite a few knives. Yeah, knives are, are
0: a central theme. Knives are
1: uh, I was wondering if we
0: could Perhaps rate the film in terms of how many revolutions per minute the high-speed miniature carousel that we see in the <laughs> film is going. Well, round. yeah, that, that was, was terrifying.
1: Going very yeah, it fast. Was, that. It was
0: about two meters across. It had about eighteen children on it, and it was going hell for leather. It was that those kids like were
2: holding on for dear life. They did well.
0: <laughs> so I've got, I've got, we've got knives. We've got revolutions per minute of a high-speed miniature carousel. Oh, that's quite hard for me to input into <laughs> Kenneth. It takes a lot of uh, punched card to enter it. I think we might stick with knives. Uh, should we call it switchblades? Just switch to blades. make it more exciting yeah. and more accurate. In so, fact.
1: At, what out of ten switchblades? Well,
0: no, us out of a hundred. One we've look. We've programmed Kenneth for a hundred. That's now. true. Is, I mean,
1: we don't want to like no. go
2: through all the. Don't, don't wanna have to like power him down and reprogram everything. Right. Well, I
0: suppose. So, Steve, I'll hand over to you to give a little bit of a summary. and So, uh, for, for my, what
1: my Switchblade rating of the film and yeah. enjoyment thereof. Mm. Uh, well, it was it was highly enjoyable. Um, I do quite like John Frankenheimer's direction, I like that, in the there's train. There's a bit of sort of like, there's, yeah, like, there's like there's few wacky, stuff. Yeah, a few yeah, wacky some... camera angles that always seem a bit out of place for a film of that age. I thought that when I saw the train, and it's, it's difficult to explain what they were just every now and then. It's You're diff- like, "Oh, that's a bit it's different. Some different. stylish direction, quite definitely, cool, yeah. yeah. A lot, a lot of kind of close, real close-ups, just totally out the blue. Yeah, and yeah. and
2: just sort of like interesting angles with people like charging downstairs and things. A bit like, like those adverts
1: cool. that dentists have, like about <laughs> toothpaste. There's always loads of jaunty camera angles. Now they're terrible, but
0: <laughs> I know I, I do know what you mean. I know. They always
1: do your edit. They're never they're a straight really camera, camera as Well, angle. because they've used oh, from they're the, awful, absolutely the awful, but similar
0: to that. <laughs> So Um, so you're saying John Frankenheimer's direction legacy (laughs) is in Colgate adverts? probably. Anyhow. So yeah, I enjoyed that. There
1: was some ridiculous aspects to it as well that we've mentioned. And you kind of wonder, I was watching it, wondering whether how genuinely accurate it was in terms of how much... Kind of control these kid gangs had on these areas, because wouldn 't the actual organized crime have stood for that
0: not me don 't know I mean from what our researches mm. are and how it 's impacted on the stuff we looked at so far, it seems like it was pretty bad at certain points, yeah. not yeah. so bad at other times, but yeah i 've never thought I about it there's
2: possibly i mean there may be some areas where the, the Cake gangs would sort of eventually feed into the sort of higher yeah. organized crime, and like the cake gangs would probably just sort of have some authority on a street level, and then
1: yeah, I suppose they probably just had authority over the people that they could have authority over, uh, i.e., their or peers, blocks. you know, well, yeah. people of their age. Yeah, you know? I can't much. imagine they were going around racket money from established businesses. I, I wouldn't imagine theories. so,
2: but I, I, yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. I think oh, just, I, just yeah, if there was a anyway. large organised crime that they could feed
0: into. Maybe the, yeah. maybe they were the, you know, like the sort of people moving the drugs around rather yeah, than people buying possibly, and selling yeah. them.
2: Yeah, possibly. I, I don't, don't know about to speculate, but so, I think that might
1: be. Yes, I think in terms of my enjoyment, I would put it around the 68.
0: Oh, 68 switchblades. <sighs> Have all of them got blood on? We don't know.
1: <laughs> have
0: I have I matched you know, your
1: switchblades? Let's see more that size. I, I was of. very
2: much thinking of going for something. I, I'm gonna to, I'm gonna, as I discuss it, I'll think about it a little bit more, and we'll <laughs> we'll see if I feel like changing it's just, my score. Yeah, it's got all
0: um, variables.
2: I did enjoy. I, I think it's it's pretty cool. It's the premise is good. I think it's you know the. The, the actual sort of um, social and political kind of themes in there—that's that's pretty interesting, and I think it's artfully made. Some good performances. As we've discussed, I, mean, I would have either preferred for it to go more youth exploitation and have like zany rock and roll and yeah. more like hilariously well, Not full
0: gomps go beat, but. No, yeah.
2: no, no, but like a little bit more of a bit that. More
0: blackboard jungle.
2: Absolutely. Or make it more gritty and just like a little bit more hard hitting. It could have gone either way.
0: Mm. Um. I think that reflects what a lot of people think about it. became it, a bit yeah. courtroomy
2: towards the end, didn't yeah. it? I, mean, so, I don't know. I mean, like, Maybe, I've not read the book, maybe it's like a very early sort of hint of Evan Hunter sort of heading towards like the Matthew Hope novels and, mm. and things like that later on. But that's, um that's true, yeah. it, it was good fun. I've very much enjoyed it and I'm very glad to have seen it. I'm not going to change much, but I feel like I should give a slightly different score just because I don't want to <laughs> seem like I'm ripping you off. I'm going to give it uh, 66 Switchblades. Right. 66,
0: okay. Click now it, I've read the click. book of this and the book, which I'm not going to rate because we've not all read it, I will say... It's clearly an Evan Hunter book, not an Ed McBain book. Mm. There is a different type of author's voice in yeah. this, which, in this case, I don't enjoy as much as the Ed McBain mm. voice. It's, he's got different things to explore, and he explores them in a, different, in a different way when he's writing as Evan Hunter rather than Ed McBain, which is why maybe it's a little bit strange that it's now published as Ed McBain writing as Evan Hunter. I can understand the, the commercial and mm. the you know, historical reasons for doing that. Mm. So I've got the book in my mind, because I read it first... And I don't think the film just disappointed me. It, it was a good stab at, at getting across a story in an hour and twenty minutes, or not whatever it was—an hour and twenty minutes, an hour and forty minutes—that it was. I did think it missed out some of the potential for the actual social stuff that it really could have gone into that the the book tries to do and does in quite intense detail, oh. and tries to boil that down to two or three sort of little moments that are sort of a line here or a look there or or whatever that said, I think, you know, it, it wasn't bad at all. But I don't think I'm going to creep above 65 switchblades. Oh, well. In this instance. They're all
2: in a fairly similar ballpark.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: I
1: think
0: that's fair enough. So let's see what Kenneth's got to say about that. I mean, wow. Kenneth's probably not used to the idea of us trying to pour in, you know... Hundred and eighty odd switchblades into his mechanisms, but let's just see what happens as we watch the smoke pouring out of his funnels, <laughs> and it comes out at well, Morgan, you've nailed it. Sixty six switchblades I awarded to the young savages. On the money there. Excellent. I think it's worth watching. It is. It's definitely worth watching. Yeah, and,
2: give it a watch, folks, Definitely. It's it's not going to change your life, but it, you'll not regret having spent that one hour and thirty eight minutes. Um, definitely it's it's a good movie
0: okay well that's us summed up for the film we will be back very soon with The Empty Hours the next 87th Precinct book Mm -hmm. with the three novellas in it from 1962 and moving on from there I suppose until then we might as well say goodbye I'll do that like this goodbye goodbye
2: and fairly well (laughs)